Welcome to the Critical Conversations podcast. My name is Brianna Reesing, and I'm a critical care nurse with a true passion for preventative health. I've seen firsthand the impact that poor diet and lifestyle choices can have on us long-term. So with each episode, we'll dive deeper into the realities of our healthcare system, what preventative health truly entails, and what you can do about it. All right, guys, welcome back. I am so excited. Carly is joining us again for round two. We had such a great conversation last week. I just had to continue this conversation all about thyroid health with her. I actually reached out to you guys in my Instagram community that follow me on my personal account over at Beach Life Brie and asked you to send in some questions. And the amount of questions you guys sent in was overwhelming. And I love how interested you guys are in learning more about your health and helping yourself because that's exactly why we show up here every week. We can't get to all of them, but we're going to tackle some of what I thought were the most important questions and possibly the questions that will apply to the majority of you. I tried to combine some of the questions into a two-part to cover more (laughs) in the short amount of time we have and not to totally overwhelm Carly. So let's just get this episode started. Hey, Carly, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited (laughs) to talk more about thyroid. Last week, it was just so good. We had to continue the conversation. I felt like we didn't cover nearly enough of what we needed to talk about. Yes, last week was much more about my story, and I feel like this week we are really able to dig into some helpful information for other thyroid patients. Perfect. Um, All right, so the first question I have, and I think it's applicable to everyone, and I think it's just good information, even if you don't have a history of thyroid issues, if you've had lab work done within the last year or two, like Laura and I talked about within the first couple episodes, the importance of going to your doctor, just getting basic lab work done, and knowing what you look like when you're healthy is possibly the best thing you can do for your health so that when you start to have issues and symptoms and changes in your how you're feeling on a daily basis and you go back to the doctor for another checkup and they do additional blood work you have something to compare it to so you can start to see if numbers start to change if lab ranges are starting to go up or down and it it really gives you better insight into what's going on with your body versus just going in when you're not feeling good for the first time in your life there's no baseline to compare what normal is for you so that's my little soapbox <laughs> for the day <laughs> and it leads into the first question so what are the normal ranges that people can refer to when it comes to looking at their lab work specifically for thyroid. I know there's a couple different tests doctors can run, and I know the ranges differ depending on which doctor you work with. So if you can give us a little insight into what you've learned, I know you're not a doctor, but from what you've personally been exposed to and what your doctors have taught you, what have you learned is important to look for. Absolutely. I am not a doctor, so this isn't medical advice, but I am speaking from personal experience, research, and just being a thyroid patient for the last five years. So before going into normal lab ranges, we kind of need to back up and talk about which lab should actually be run for thyroid health. So many doctors will only run a TSH and a T4 for thyroid health, but this this does not give us the full picture of thyroid activity and wellness. Only running these tests doesn't show whether or not the thyroid condition is of autoimmune nature 
or the amount of active thyroid hormone for the body to use. So there's a difference between the total amount of thyroid hormone and the active thyroid hormone that the body and the cells can actually use. So make sure that you're asking your doctor for TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone, T4 and T3, which are both thyroid hormones. T3 is the active form of thyroid hormone that our cells use, that our body uses. And then there's two types of antibodies that are associated with Hashimoto's, Tg antibodies and TPO antibodies. And then a reverse T3 test is really important as well. So that is what a, th a full thyroid panel is. And I actually recommend that women get this panel once a year, regardless of if they have Hashimoto's, a history of thyroid disorders in their family. It is so common these days, 27 million people have thyroid disorders that it is worth getting screened for and insurance almost always covers this. Now, if you're going to a traditional, just Western medicine primary care doctor and you're getting like your first lab work ever and you don't have any symptoms necessarily to lead them down the path of looking closer at your thyroid, will they be open to running all of that? Or are they going to just want to start with the first couple? And then if something's abnormal, then they'll do more. Most, like I said, most will only run a TSH and a T4 when looking at thyroid health. I don't think this is a complete picture. So you are going to have to say, I'd like a full thyroid panel with antibodies. Got it. And yeah. fingers crossed they don't push back. And if they do push back, just keep pushing for it. Tell them how important it is to you. Tell them if you have family history of it or you just really think your symptoms are lining up for it. You have to be your biggest advocate in order to get the information you're looking for. Absolutely. And these aren't complex tests. So you can go and get one vial of blood and have all these done right. um, at one time. So your question was around normal labs. So now that we kind of have a picture of what a full thyroid panel looks like, we can talk more about ranges in labs. Um, and the thing that's kind of funny about labs is we don't really want to fit into normal lab ranges. Normal lab ranges are, and this is nuanced, so listen to the details here. Normal <laughs> lab ranges are created from the average results at each lab. And this is why ranges differ a little bit from lab to lab. But sick people are included in lab ranges and results. Um, so this is why lab, this is why we don't want to fit into normal ranges. We actually want to fit into more optimal ranges. And unfortunately in the conventional setting, um, the ranges are pretty wide, yeah. whereas in a more holistic setting, the optimal ranges are usually much uh, littler. And for example, a TSH in conventional care will be anywhere from zero to eight. That's what a wow. range could look like, or That's zero huge. to five, really big. Um, zero to five is usually what we're seeing right now. However, in optimal ranges, we're going to see 0.5 to 2 is where most holistic practitioners want to see a TSH. Wow. So there's a really big difference there. And I will tell you something, having a TSH at 5 and 2, you can feel like a completely different person. So it is really important to really try to optimize your lab ranges and look at conventional ranges as potentially too wide and connected to why you might be feeling the way you yeah, do. Yeah, because if the conventional range goes all the way to five, it's not going to flag it as abnormal until it's 5.1. And mm -hmm. you can be at 4.9 and they'll just be like, oh, it's normal. Come back next year. And that's a whole year of lost 
treatment and addressing the underlying root causes and really taking back charge of your health. And I think we kind of touched on this last week with the difference in the ranges, depending on the doctors you see. The reason the ranges are so much more narrower when you go to like a holistic, integrative or functional doctor is because they like to get you into a normal range much sooner. They like to really control that range because they understand that lifestyle and really addressing root causes, those changes don't happen overnight. It takes time. So they can really keep better control of your health if they keep closer eye on those numbers and which direction they're going in. Totally. It's optimal versus average. Yeah. That's how I like to yeah, that's a great way. say it concisely. Um, so most holistic and functional med- medicine doctors use a narrower range. And within these ranges, and I will give some numbers if that's okay with you. Yeah, no, that's um, fine. But within those ranges, there's some wiggle room. Some providers have slightly different numbers they aim for. So really look at what I'm going to share as a guideline and go with what your trusted doctor prefers. Also, I really like to remind people that symptoms are your North Star when you're deciphering labs. Labs are so important, but if your labs are in range and you're still feeling symptomatic, you'll either need to tweak your labs, your medication, or even look further for the reasons that these symptoms keep presenting themselves. So I will go into what more optimal and some examples of optimal numbers for thyroid health. And I know some people are going to be surprised here because they are pretty different than standard ranges. That's okay. (laughs) So for TSH, and I'm just going to go through the whole thyroid panel that I mentioned earlier. For TSH, optimal ranges are 0.5 to 2.0. And then the measuring units here are milli units per liter. For T4, the optimal ranges are 0.8 to 1.4, and this is nanograms per deciliter. For T3, the optimal ranges are 3.0 to 4.0 pgml, so that's picograms per milliliter. For antibodies, um, for Tg antibodies, optimal ranges are 0 to 0.9 international units per milliliter. For TPO antibodies, optimal ranges are 0 to 20 international units per milliliter. And then for reverse T3, we like to see this um, below 16 nanograms per deciliter or less than a 10 to 1 ratio uh, reverse T3 to free T3. That's a lot. I know people have told me they take notes during these podcasts before. Um, if you guys had a hard time writing down, especially the measuring units, um, cause some labs will run them in different levels and you want to make sure that you're matching up the numbers to the right measuring unit. Um, we'll be sure and write these out for you in the show notes. You can find them at criticalconversationspodcast.com slash episode. I believe this is going to be 26. So episode 026, and we'll have them directly in the show notes for you to reference. Awesome. Yeah. And if your labs don't fit into these ranges, don't be alarmed. Most people who are working in the conventional setting, their labs won't, but it does mean that there is room for improvement, room to feel better and improve your health. So that's actually pretty exciting. Yeah. No, there's a lot of, a lot of power you can take back with your health, especially when it comes to thyroid, the sooner you address it. I think the longer mm-hmm. it goes, the the less like you, less likely you are to reverse it naturally. But, um, Those were all the ranges, correct? 
Yes, Perfect. those were the ranges for the standard thyroid lab that I think is really important for people to run. All right, so this is kind of a loaded question. Um, it's kind of a couple questions into one. You can take it whichever direction you feel is most appropriate. Um, so the biggest group of questions I was getting from people that lined up were how can we prevent it from happening to us? Like a lot of people don't necessarily have thyroid issues or haven't been diagnosed, but they want to know what they can do to prevent it. What are the triggers in lifestyle or necessarily in your body that might be causing it? Things to do, things to avoid. Yes, so definitely a loaded question, and this is going to look <laughs> That's different. That's a very big question. <laughs> it's going to look different for everyone, but I'm just going to give a baseline here, and then if we want to go into specific common Hashimoto's triggers um, after this little pocket okay. of information, yeah. I'm happy to do okay. that. So first of all, this is a really good question, and I feel like not enough people are asking it, and it's hard because I didn't ask this question before I got Hashimoto's because I didn't even know what Hashimoto's was. So great that people are thinking this way and looking at preventative measures that are important for preventing thyroid autoimmunity. So if you are someone with a relative who has Hashimoto's, you do have a greater chance of um, getting the disease because you most likely have a genetic predisposition to it. But we know that genetics are not your biological destiny. Right. So to be diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, someone needs three things. They need a genetic predisposition to a disease, which most people don't even know they have. Um, leaky gut is number two. And then three would be environmental triggers. So something triggering the autoimmunity. So because we can't necessarily, we can't control our genetic predisposition, um, let's focus on things we can control. So we can control and influence how healthy our gut is and whether or not we're exposing ourselves to certain environmental triggers that are associated with general autoimmunity. Yeah. Um, so I always like to tell people, you have so much more control than you think over your health. Even if your mom or your sister has Hashimoto's, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to have it as well. Um, things to do for healthy gut, you know, focusing on an anti-inflammatory real food diet, uh, reducing stress in your life is big and this can be internal stress and external stress, um, and getting outside in nature. These are all really good things for the microbiome for a healthy gut. And of course there are supplements and things you can do as well, but if you aren't already doing the basics, yeah. eating well and reducing stress, um, and then exposing your body to different microbes. I think outside. Bridget and I did an entire podcast all about gut health and the microbiome and all the tips and tricks you can do all the little things I think that's back in like episode I want to say 17 or 18 and that's an entire yeah. hour all on gut health and what you can do to optimize that for your body love that you and Bridget are <laughs> gut health masters we love so talking sure. about the gut <laughs> yes I'm sure that episode is amazing so go back and listen to that episode if you want if you are someone who's like well I know I have a genetic predisposition to it I need to focus on my gut health definitely listen to that yeah. episode um, and then to speak to triggers which is the third thing that someone needs for an autoimmune disease to manifest they're different for everyone. So what my body identifies as something triggering is going to be different, Brie, from what your body yeah. identifies as a trigger. And so that's why there's a lot of personalization to autoimmunity. But 
Um, to speak, I guess, generally reducing foods like gluten and soy that are known to disrupt thyroid function uh, is a really great place to start. Food allergies can be triggers for autoimmunity. So if you know you have food allergies generally, um, staying away from those is really important. Reducing toxin exposures is really important as well. So everyday exposures in our cosmetics and body products, um, and then even things like heavy metals or exposure to fluoride and chlorine. These are all important as well. Um, and then making sure you don't have rampant viruses in your body, um, or things like SIBO, gut infections. These are all things that can trigger autoimmunity. And honestly, it's still a very broad spectrum that sounds like all the things that trigger almost the majority of almost all issues that can occur within our body because inflammation is at the root cause of almost every disorder we develop and these triggers can lead to diabetes they can lead to high blood pressure they can lead to heart attacks and strokes they can lead Mm -hmm. to other issues but every body like you said is different and depending on what your genetic makeup is and what your now lifestyle factors are and environmental triggers are it leads leads you down different roads depending on what's going on within your body and i think it's interesting that you went so broad because it goes back to every conversation we've ever had on this podcast it really just gets back to really looking at your lifestyle and simplifying and cleaning it up and getting rid of the toxins in your home and in your food and paying attention how f- to how food's making you feel, getting outside, moving your body. It's really almost everything we've talked about always circles back to those core things. Yeah. And some people are frustrated by the answer or by answers like these because they're not sexy. Yeah, I don't have a pill specific. for you. Mm-hmm. It's not like, I don't oh, have a pill don't for you. eat red grapes and you won't get thyroid <laughs> <laughs> like issues. Like it's not yes. that specific. <laughs> exactly. And one thing that I think can be so empowering about this question and this answer is going back to epigenetics. So epigenetics is a study of how our environment, um, ex- how our genes are influenced by our environment. And we have control over our environment and that's 80% of our health. We, we think right now in scientific literature that only 20% of disease is genetic. So we are able, the choices we make daily, monthly, weekly, they really add up. And like I said, I wish I had a pill. I wish I had something I could give you to reduce your chances of autoimmunity or to make sure that it wouldn't manifest, but we just don't have that at this point. And I don't know if we ever will. However, we have a lot of general advice, eat well, sleep well, reduce your stress, um, have healthy relationships in your life. All of these things take time and effort, but they really are the foundation of health now and long-term. Yeah. I heard, I think it was Dr. Mark Hyman last year, he posted a quote and he's known for saying it, that your genetic code or that your zip code, the place where you live, has more effect on your long-term health than your actual genetic code, the genes you were born with that could actually predict your overall health status. Your zip code, the place where you live, has a stronger effect on your overall health at this point with the research that we're doing because it's all based on the food that's available to you, the environment that you're living in, the people you're surrounding yourself in, surrounding yourself with, the things that you're doing, the job that you have. Like It's all connected. 
Totally, it is. Um, And then one last thing here on the preventative side, I did want to mention that getting, again, getting a full thyroid panel every single year is really a smart way to prevent Hashimoto's progression. So if you can catch autoimmune activity early, the greater your chances are at reversing it and preventing thyroid damage. Um, And most doctors won't include antibody in their thyroid workup. So this is something you have to ask for. And those antibodies are the only way to tell if your thyroid condition is autoimmune in nature. So make sure you're asking for those antibodies again. That's a really good point. Um, you yeah. have mentioned, I think last week that gluten and soy can be the biggest triggers and that you didn't necessarily see complete change within you and how you felt until you really strictly started avoiding those things and really just started saying no to them in all aspects. Um, so those are some of the biggest triggers when it comes to food. Are there any certain foods that are beneficial when it comes to thyroid health? Are there certain foods that you try to get in your diet routinely because you've learned that there's benefit? Yes. Um, This is another really good question. I love your audience (laughs) questions. They're so great. So overall, um, a whole food, real food diet that lacks um, processed foods and chemicals and food dyes and preservatives, that is going to help any thyroid patient and any person um, on the autoimmune spectrum or in the autoimmune world, as well as any human in general. (laughs) So that's always the foundation. (laughs) Exactly. That's always the foundation of um, how someone with a chronic illness should be eating. Um, But there are a few foods that are particularly helpful for people with thyroid disorders and Hashimoto's. So seafood and shellfish are great because they are anti-inflammatory. You know, they have those great omega-3 fatty acids like EPA and DHA. They also have selenium, zinc, and iodine. And selenium and zinc and iodine are all extremely important for thyroid function, for the thyroid to be able to do its job properly and produce those hormones. So I definitely try to have seafood at least every three days. Um, Oysters are a thyroid superfood. And then I try to just keep it low mercury seafood, um, like salmon and sardines. And then I will do some tuna here and there if it's from certain brands who test their tuna. Right. Um, for people that have seafood allergies, is are there any other types of foods that are actually like a natural source of iodine? Um, seafood allergies, yes. So for iodine, and we're going to get into this, I think there was a question about this coming up, but sea vegetables, I don't know if, you know, if people can do sea vegetables like seaweed and kelp, great Those are still good natural iodine. source. Mm-hmm. Eggs are another good source of iodine. And then if they do dairy, um, dairy can be another good source of iodine. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what were we? Oh, we're covering foods. So <laughs> another food that is a superfood. And again, any food that is good for someone with a thyroid disorder is really a superfood for anyone. There aren't any magic bullets for food-wise um, for people with Hashimoto's. Um, it's just a general, these are general foods that provide a lot of the nutrients that do help the thyroid do its job. Um, so liver is an incredibly rich source of vitamin A 
And this is vitamin A is really important for immune system regulation. And when you have an autoimmune disease, we want to keep that immune system regular. So it's not always the most palatable, but if you can do liver in your diet, I always recommend trying to get that in at least once a week. I personally have never cooked with liver. I just can't. Being a retired vegan, like it's still hard for me to wrap my head around touching and cooking with liver. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. It's just mental. But yeah. I did go to one of your classes when you were doing a cooking class down here in LA and you made a, I think it was a chicken liver pate. Yes. It was so good. It was really good. Well, I told Ben about it. I told him I was going to make it for him. I still haven't been able to bring myself to buying the liver to make it, but I was actually yeah. really impressed because I've heard time and time again my whole life that just liver isn't very palatable and most people don't like it my parents never ate it so I wasn't really even exposed to it even before when I wasn't vegan it just wasn't part of my diet um mm -hmm. but the way you prepared it and I it just opened my eyes to realizing like this can be done right and I can enjoy this I just need to get through those mental blocks and expand my food horizons even more so <laughs> Yeah. And it's definitely something that grows on you. Yeah. Like the first time you try it, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, what is this? This doesn't <laughs> taste right. Um, but we can also link the recipe I used okay. in yeah, the show notes as well. Yeah. It's a really good starting point. And I still like it with a cracker and an olive in every bite. It's not like my favorite food, but I do try to have it because I know it's really yeah. uh, nutritious. And I mean, I think that's where a lot of our lifestyle changes start, right? We start with the why. We teach ourselves why we're doing it and why it's beneficial for us. And it just makes it a little bit easier. If you cook it for me and feed it to me, I'll be more than happy to eat it. I just, <laughs> It's the whole preparing it myself thing that I haven't been able to get around to. Well, that's okay. I mean, <laughs> you're doing so many other things and this would be an added bonus. Right. Um, so green veggies in general are great, especially leafy green vegetables for folate and magnesium. Uh, just in general, I think 80% of the population is low in magnesium. So wherever we can get that is really helpful. Nutrient deficiencies do lead to autoimmunity. Um, they are a trigger. So making sure that you're getting a diverse group of vegetables and proteins and really wholesome, nutritious foods is not only great for autoimmunity, but everyone in general. Yeah. I think that was actually a really powerful answer. I think you had more specifics than I was expecting with that one. Um, I know well, from your- I have one more oh, that's you really have more. important. Okay, go for it. Yeah, just one that I, I mean, I could go on, but I really <laughs> want to talk about the importance of purified water. Oh, okay. Um, especially for yeah. thyroid patients. This isn't a food, but it's something we consume. And water in the US is not what we think it is. Um, you can disgusting. go on the environmental. It's disgusting. And it's not going to give us like- amoebas like maybe in other countries but it's full of heavy metals and pesticides and birth control and fluoride and so many things that accumulate like all in our pharmaceuticals body. that are out in the world are now like contaminating our water supply i think that's mm -hmm. the worst of them all like antipsychotics and blood pressure medications and, and birth control hormones. our little boys are drinking birth yeah. control yeah 
it's crazy. Um, so I'm a huge advocate for purified water, not even filtered. There's a difference between filtered water and purified water. And I think it is really important that people are drinking purified water in our Hashimoto's course that, um, just finished up. We did a whole module on food and water and why, um, purified water is so important. And like everyone was making the switch to purified water because, something like fluoride and heavy metals, they can accumulate in the thyroid and cause a lot of problems and proliferate autoimmunity or start autoimmunity. So this is a really big one that I think a lot of people kind of like roll their eyes at, but I am here to tell you it's very important. Yeah. And what um, water purification system do you use? I'm pretty sure you and I both are using Berkey or do you have something even higher? I I use the Berkey at home. Um, that is what I use for my drinking water. And then my shower also has a Berkey filter. Um, and on the go, I use something called, oh, what are they called? Pure go pods or go pure pods. And it's a little like size. Do of those work? Cork. I've seen those. Yeah, they do. And I don't use it like every day, but when I'm on vacation, it's my go-to. Yeah. I keep it in my water bottle for the gym if I want to refill. Um, so yes, I am a fan. So of admittedly, like the only time I buy plastic water bottles is at the airport, because if I bring my reusable water bottle and fill up airport water, even if it's from one of those filtered water stations and I put the lid on it five minutes later, when I open it up to drink it, I get like smacked with just a smell of chlorine. It smells like a public swimming pool to me. I can't drink mm-hmm. it. So when I'm in an airport, I will actually buy a water bottle because I feel better about it and putting it into my body. I know environmentally it's not the best decision, but it's just what works for me. Um, so if you were to just get pure tap water and put one of those pure pods in it, does it actually take away that smell? Can, does it change the smell and taste of the water? For me, it does. Um, I would definitely try it. And if it, you know, if for some reason you're still getting that smell, you can always buy your water bottle at the airport. <laughs> I know you're really good about not doing single uses. Thank you for the permission. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, just try it out. Like, see what works for you. It works for me. I like it. Um, Interesting. I'll look into again, that and I'll, um, I'll find it and I'll link to that in the show notes too so you guys can see what we're talking about. The Berkey water filter is a standalone filter that you put in your kitchen. You actually pour water water into the top of it it drains to gravity through like charcoal and fluoride filters and all these things takes a while to filter through but it's the cleanest purest water I've ever tasted and I take like 80 ounces of water with me to work every day and I'm just the girl that carries my own water bottles in with me and everyone else drinks from the water filters at work but I just can't I can't handle once you drink really pure water it's really hard to go back to just regular tap water you can just immediately smell the difference, if not taste it. it. It's so true. I always say Berkey turns people into water snobs. It really does. Yes, it turned like my dog into a water. water snob. She won't even drink water out in public. <laughs> when restaurants give her a bowl of water, she'll literally smell it and walk away. Oh my gosh. Like you can that's really tell the difference. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there is some nasties in the water. Um, All right. We're kind of getting to the end here, and I don't think we're going to be able to tackle all the questions, but I do want to ask you one last question. I know we kind of touched on it with last week's episode, but it was a question I got from multiple people, and I think it's important to touch on again. Um, People that have been diagnosed with thyroid and that are taking prescription medication were asking how do I get off my medication? And I know that's kind of a two-part answer, and I just want to hear your opinion on that. 
Yes. So anytime I discuss medication, and I think I did this exact same thing in the other episode, but I always say if you are considering making medication changes, if you think you need to, it is absolutely imperative that you do this alongside your doctor. There is some really terrible repercussions that have happened from people trying to um, adjust their own doses, such as heart attack um, and death. So really work with your physician when altering any medication at all. Um, just start, just like to start off with that. Cause I yeah, think it's so important absolutely. and a lot of people don't know that. So when, when I talk about thyroid medication with people, it's always an interesting, um, conversation. And my question is always, do you know how thyroid medication works and why it's important? And a lot of people don't know the answer to either of those <laughs> questions, but they really want to get off of it. And I was in that, I was, I know how that person feels because I was in her shoes for a really long time. The first couple of years I was diagnosed, my only goal was to get off my medication. Because and there's always shame doctor, and stigma around it too. Like you, you're living a holistic life. You don't want to be on prescriptions. You want to like, you want to control it by your lifestyle. Absolutely. You don't want to be on a prescription a, because no one wants to be on a prescription. And then B, there is stigma in the holistic world around pharmaceuticals and around healing enough to come off medication. Yeah. Um, so yes, you definitely hit the nail on the head there. But a lot of people can't answer the question, do you know how thyroid medication works and why it's important? And when I was able to answer those questions, when I figured out that information, when I was taught that information, I really had a mindset shift and I was more okay with my thyroid um, medication and taking it daily. So I'll tell you why. Thyroid hormone is thyroid hormone medication is thyroid hormone replacement medication. So essentially it is replacing the thyroid hormone that someone with a damaged thyroid or Hashimoto's or a thyroid problem isn't able to make. Most people with Hashimoto's, they have damaged thyroid from the immune system. And because of this, their thyroid can't produce adequate thyroid hormone. So that's kind of part one. So you're like, okay, the body can't produce adequate thyroid hormone. So what? Well, it's actually really important to have adequate thyroid hormone in the body. And whether this is through natural production or via medication, it is so, so imperative because every single cell in the body has thyroid hormone receptors and it's needed for just about everything to uh, function properly. Low levels of thyroid hormone have been associated with so many things like weight gain, improper digestion. Um, A lot of people see hormone and fertility issues when they don't have adequate thyroid hormone. But if you dig into the literature, you're also able to see that women with low thyroid hormone levels have a higher risk of developing heart disease and having a stroke and having kidney failure. So this is why medication to replace low thyroid hormone is really important and whether that's short term or long term that's okay but it is necessary so does that kind of answer your question i would say the other end of that question is is it possible to get off of it can some people take it for a short term really dive into their lifestyle changes and get their levels optimized to the point where they don't need it or is it typically 
something that needs to be taken long term? I personally don't know the answer to this question. And mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, say you're 20 and you get told you're like borderline hypothyroid, you're going to start supplementing with a medication. Let's change your lifestyle, recheck your lab work in a year and see where you're at. Is it does it happen where you can get off of it? Or is it something you just need to really just own and realize that the medication's supporting your body and your long-term health and it's you still need to do the lifestyle changes, but the medication's mm-hmm. also part of that regimen for the rest of your life? Yes, and this is one of my favorite things to talk about, thyroid <laughs> medication in general, because there's so many different avenues, so much information. But short answer, can, can, does everyone need to be on thyroid medication for life? And short answer is no, not every single Hashimoto's or hypothyroid patient will need to be on thyroid medication for life. Okay. I know people and I've had clients who don't need thyroid medication in their current state. They've been able to heal enough. They caught Hashimoto's early. They've done the work around gut healing. They've turned off that autoimmune response in the body. So their immune system is no longer attacking their thyroid. They've done that work. Um, or, you know, for some people it's really easy. They take stop eating gluten they go on medication for a little bit their body's able to even out it, got it it really is different for depending everyone. on what's potentially triggering you what lifestyle factors you can modify it may or may not be strong enough for you to get rid of the medication Exactly. And then also how long the autoimmune process has been happening in the body is very much connected to how easy or difficult it can be for people to get on um, off medication. So if you are able to stop the autoimmune process, stop that immune system from attacking the thyroid and heal your gut, um, working with your doctor to taper off medication is totally an option for some people. Um, but it's more likely that someone can come off medication if they caught their Hashimoto's early and their TSH wasn't elevated for really long periods of time. And then there's someone like me who I, you know, like I said in the beginning, I wanted to come off medication and I, five years later, I do a lot of things right for my health. I eat really well. I take care of my stress and my thyroid was damaged to the point where it still isn't able to produce enough thyroid hormone to meet my body's needs. So I'm still on medication, but I'm not just on medication. I'm also doing other things right. that really elevate my state. And, um, you know, the autoimmune process isn't active in my body anymore. Um, so it really is different for everyone. And your dosage is probably so much lower than what it could have been because of all the lifestyle changes you've made and just everything that you've stuck with over the past five years. Totally. And my dose has come down. It hasn't completely, I haven't completely come off medication, but my dose is lower. And then also within this, um, medication conversation, um, there's also so many different types of thyroid medication. Mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit more about this on the last episode. If people want to go back and listen to that. Um, but it's not all about dose. It's not all about being on or off medication. It also is about type as well. Finding what's working for you specifically. I mean, honestly, I think you could take the word thyroid out of that conversation and replace it with blood pressure diabetes, cholesterol, you can replace it with a lot of different types of medication. And the answer is pretty much the same across the board. Those are medications that have been prescribed to help stabilize an imbalance in your body. But a lot of those are also potentially able to be completely taken away depending on the lifestyle changes you made. The difference is, is thyroid medication is actually replenishing a deficiency in your body, whereas 
diabetes medications, blood pressure medications, like those things are not replacing a deficiency. They're actually just putting like they're helping you along the way of something that's mm-hmm. been damaged or inflamed or that's a bigger conversation. But totally. I just think it's important to realize like that the answer you gave is powerful in the sense of it depends on what your triggers are. It depends on what lifestyle modifications you've made and how your body responds. Yes, it's a very complicated answer and we summarized it today. I have an entire blog post on all my thoughts, all my experiences, my conversations with people um, on this topic. It's called, Should I Get Off My Thyroid Medication? And it really dives into all things medication and why and why not. And so if you are someone, maybe you asked this question or you're wondering it as well, definitely go there and check it out. And I also saw you have... Is it an ebook, uh, like a Hashimoto's ebook or PDF, some sort of download that's just loaded with great information as well that's available on your website? That's all yeah, for free. I think you might be talking about my seven things every Hashimoto's patient should know. Yes. And it is a PDF, and it's just seven of the biggest things I wish I would have known when I was first diagnosed that really helped me heal. And, um, I recommend, yeah, checking that out and my story as well. I have another blog post called the five biggest things I did to heal my Hashimoto's. Um, so I have a lot of info out there for Hashimoto's patient because I was in their shoes and I really struggled with this disease for a long time. You've done a great job at creating resources around it and really telling your story and just being really open about it along the way. And I I don't have thyroid issues, but I've loved reading the information you've put out there. I just feel like it's so relatable for so many people, whether or not you actually have a thyroid problem, it can still relate and help you when it comes to lifestyle modifications and really empower you to take that next step. So thank you, Carly. I know we didn't hit all of the questions, but that just means you have to come back again. So. <laughs> Awesome. I would love that. And thanks for having me on here. I'm so happy to have you and have you recur as often as possible. Obviously, you're so passionate about this topic and I love it. I'm learning so much and I'm sure the audience is going to have more and more questions as we go. So thank you for being such a great resource. And if you guys don't know already, you can find her at Frolic and Flow on Instagram. And then your your website is frolicandflow.me, right? Yes, that is correct. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you, Carly. It's been great talking to you again, and we will be sure to do this soon.